everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, it's Jen Hatmaker here. I am so happy to have you. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. Today, we are starting a brand new series that I am excited about. It is called For the Love of Finishing Strong. Because uh, frankly, not only are we closing in on the finish line of 2019, we are closing in on the finish line of a decade. It's kind of a big deal. Um, and I know that sometimes it feels like the best we can do is just sort of limp across the finish line. Um, but I believe more for us. I believe that we actually hold the reins to decide how we react and how we respond and how we move forward. And, um, not only how we want to just get through this part of the year, but how we want to thrive. So in this short series, I am hosting some people who have positively learned a thing or two about perseverance and show us that really no matter what time of year it is, or even what season you are in, how busy or tired we are, that we have so much choice in the way that we are reacting. We have a lot of power to adjust the dials, um, frankly, to finish strong. And I have just the right guest to start us off in this series. I'm so pleased to have onto the show and maybe even to introduce you to Lewis Howes. So if you know Lewis, he has a truly wonderful story. Gosh, wait till you hear how candidly he speaks about his life and his experiences and his childhood. Like uh, it was an unusual amount of um, transparency and vulnerability in today's interview. I really can't wait for you to hear it. Um, I'm going to leave the details for the interview, but he really suffered as a kid, really, really did. And then sort of worked himself up into this place of resiliency and then ultimately abundance and this mentality of love and generosity that is, there's just, it's inspiring. I don't know how else to talk about it. So he's like, at this point, gone on to become this mentoring force for good in the world. He has a very excellent podcast and book, both called The School of Greatness. We'll have, we'll link to all that. Um, Essentially where he hosts experts who share advice that Lewis wishes he had while growing up. Just fantastic um, experts in all their own fields. And I I just want to tell you that I, there are so many moments during our discussion that I was just sort of leaning forward thinking, wow, I'm just really proud of him for um, speaking so honestly right now and being so like tender hearted and making space for um, people to tell the truth and to like choose a path of joy and hope and love forward. Anyway, I just, I think you're going to love this discussion. I definitely did. And um, at one point in the conversation, I was sitting here in my chair with my hands holding up the number four in the air and you'll see why. Um, so I hope you enjoy this, not just this particular conversation, but this whole series about finishing strong. So delighted to welcome to the, for the love podcast today, Lewis house. 
Lewis, I have um, filled my listeners in with a little bit about who you are. Uh, but I, if you would just allow me, I'd love to walk it back a little bit to the beginning. I wonder if you could talk a bit about um, your growing up years, which you were very frank about. You talk about those years in a very candid way, which I appreciate, um, about what you faced and what you struggled through and how ultimately that kind of ultimately that fueled you eventually. Um, but can you talk a little bit about being a kid and that time in your life and sort of the landmines that you walked through? My childhood, I, I was under a lot of turmoil in the sense that I was telling him, you know, it felt like my parents were fighting every day. It felt like there was an argument, there was a scream, there was a passive aggressiveness, there was a um, don't speak for a week type of mentality. There was a slamming of doors, running out. It was just kind of this uncertainty consistently. My brother, my brother went to prison when I was eight until I was 12 and he was my hero. And I remember we would go visit him in the, you know, the, the prison inmate visitor section every weekend. And I would hear these conversations about men dying in prison fights and the trauma that he was facing. My older sisters um, were struggling with depression and I hmm. believe attempting com to commit suicide a couple of wow, different times gosh. each. And I just remember feeling alone, insignificant. I remember feeling um, like no one liked me or cared mm. about me. Did you have any younger siblings or you're the youngest? I'm the youngest of yeah. four, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and so my parents, you know, they were they were both working multiple jobs just trying to like provide sure. back in the 80s, uh, 70s and 80s for us. And um, so I don't blame them for anything. And they've, they've done a lot of healing and, hmm. you know, they're happier now. But I just remember the feeling of like little traumas every single yeah. day. And I'm sure for other people, they've probably experienced a lot more trauma um, but for me also, when I was five, I was, I was sexually abused by another mm. man. It was the son of a babysitter. It was probably yeah. a 16 or 17 or 18 year old, mm. uh, boy. And I remember also in school, and I'm not trying to jump over this too quick because that's a big thing, but also in school being in the special needs classes from as early as I can remember until I graduated college, which took me seven years to graduate. Wow. So. I always felt insecure, insignificant, not enough, um, like no one's going to love me. And I kept seeing examples of why this was true. I kept building my case and, and the story in my mind every single day on why no one liked me, why I was stupid, why I was insignificant. And that was kind of my childhood experience. Mm. Um, of, I really appreciate your willingness to talk, um, candidly about your abuse, because of course we are pretty familiar with the percentages of abuse that girls, um, mm -hmm. and women face, especially yep. kids. But I was really interested to discover a few years ago that boys have very similar percentages. Yeah, it's um, one in four women and one in six men. Yeah, that's right. So, um, but yeah, that has not received the same amount of, uh, I don't know if attention is the right word, but sort of exposure. And yeah. so I think men suffer silently there in, in, in massive numbers, just in massive numbers. And it's not rare. It's, it's crazy to me. And I always felt like I was 
the only one. And, and I'm course. sure every man probably feels that way if they don't know the statistics and if they don't talk about it. And yeah. I remember just feeling so ashamed. And um, again, I was like, what's wrong with me? Why is, why is this happening? All these yeah. different things. And it's, it's crazy because the more I started to heal, I started opening up about this about six years ago. And then just to my uh, friends, family, kind of one by one privately. Then I decided about a year later to open up on my podcast. Now, this was in the early stages of my podcast. After the first year, I've had, I had a podcast. So my audience wasn't as big, obviously. But it, it kind of like broke the internet for me, just posting it out there. Uh, publicly, and it was the most terrifying thing that I'd ever done. Uh, but I f- was in shock <clears throat> of what I what I found out after that. Of all the men emailing me, it, it was it was shock. It was kind of like this emotional reliving of trauma, or it was like a I've never been drunk in my life for high, but I could imagine it felt like a hangover. It was this emotional hangover for weeks of reading essays and stories of grown men who just revealed all i was just like this is unbearable the amount of pressure the amount of pain that so many men face and now listen women face their own type of pain and trauma and everything but what i realized is that wow men don't ever talk about their pain and uh i started to go on tour and talk about this i wrote a a, a book about uh masculine vulnerability where i would go on tour and talk about this and I would have rooms of uh, pretty equal, 50% men and women who would show up. And I would say, all, all the women in the room, please raise your hand if once a week you get together with a girlfriend or girlfriends and you sit down and you talk about your fears, your right. insecurities, your doubts, your body issues, your career issues, your relationship challenges. Yeah, like hands up everywhere, right? Everyone in the room, right? All yeah. the women in the room, I hate raise their hand. And yeah. I go, keep your hand up if you do this every single day. And almost every girl would be like kind of laughing, like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm on the phone with someone, I'm at a lunch, I'm mm-hmm. talking about it in the hallways, whatever, like talking about it. And I go, okay, ladies, imagine never sharing with anyone, not once a week, not once a month, but never year after year and holding on to your relationship challenges, your body issue challenges, your insecurities, your fears. And I was like, how would that make you feel? And everyone's just like, I would want to kill someone. And so I just try to have compassion for the larger group of men who don't have a safe place to talk about it without being humiliated or picked on or made fun of or be called whatever type of derogatory name that we've been called our entire childhood for showing any sensitivity and I'm going on a tangent here, but that's kind of been my experience and the experience that I started to realize that a lot of men were facing who are my age and older um, as I started opening up about this. It's just why it matters so much that you spend a great deal of your energy um, normalizing the things that are normal, which is pain yeah. and abuse and suffering and loss. And that's not rare to anybody, not nor, not a man or a woman. That's a, yeah. just a ubiquitous human experience. But it's so good for me to hear, and then primarily my community of women listening, um, that we have a responsibility there too Mm. with the men and the boys in our lives that we love um, to help normalize that for them 
to say, it's okay that you say this out loud and I will be a safe receiver for what you want to say to me. And I will not expect you to retain this disproportionate amount of sort of manufactured strength. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, it's fake. It's a fake thing. It's a fake construct. Um, But it is the way that we've operated for a long time. And we have a lot of power to create spaces of vulnerability, which weirdly ultimately create spaces of strength. Obviously, family care needs are endless and sometimes unpredictable, right? Like kids get sick or parents need a helping hand or the dog swallows a squeaker, you know, whatever it is. You've been there. We've all been there. Um, Thankfully, I'm telling you that you have help in your back pocket because care.com, it just makes life simpler for families everywhere. Care is the world's largest digital marketplace for finding and managing care, whatever you need, a babysitter, housekeeper, dog walker, senior care help. They cover in the season of our life where our kids needed um, a little bit more support. We got every babysitter and part-time nanny that we ever used through care.com and we're 100% happy. We never had a bad experience. So you can join care.com for free as a basic member and just immediately start searching for great local caregivers of any shape or form. But once you upgrade to a premium membership, you can schedule interviews, book a caregiver, and then pay them online or through the app, which is just another way to make everything easier and simpler for you. So you can save 30% off a care.com premium membership by visiting care.com slash for the love and then enter promo code for the love when you subscribe and you get 30% off. So that's care.com slash for the love for a discounted premium membership today. Okay, guys, back to our show. I'd love to move forward in your yeah. story a little bit because it's interesting to hear you talk about your childhood and just sort of the fear and loneliness that you experienced and then move forward just one click to see that you turned into a young adult who dreamed about um, playing professional sports mm-hmm. and something something in there clicked forward or upward. I don't know how you want to say it. I wonder if you could sort of talk about that transition into the young adult portion of your life and what you were hoping for and then kind of how that um, changed for you unexpectedly. Yeah. Well, my entire childhood became unknowingly, it became a journey of how do I, what can I do to get a couple friends and because I didn't have any. So how could I gain a friend? How can I get someone to like me? And I remember I had one friend finally when I was 11 years old, he was a new kid that had moved. So, uh, he moved next door to me and he was older. He was probably 15. I was, uh, 10, 11 and we hung out all the time and, um, he was older and he had, he was very athletic. So we played sports nonstop. We were, you know, the park playing sports, basketball until they locked the doors at the mm. gym. It was just we were playing all the time. We probably both had our own anger. We were getting out mm. and using sports as a channel to be productive. And thankfully, we were being productive in our time and energy and not destructive. And I started to quickly because he was older. He was playing with, you know, all the 
varsity athletes. Yeah. And I was 10 playing with the varsity kids just because. Right. He, by proximity. He, by proximity. Uh -huh. He was like, we're playing. And he was amazing. He always made sure I had a spot on the team. It was hmm, it's great. A great, the greatest friend I ever had because he always, he didn't care if there were some other freak athletes. He was like, no, Lewis is playing hmm. on a, you know, on a five on five team. Lewis is always on the team. And that gave me so much confidence in myself. And I became obsessed with, with becoming the best athlete I could be. I mean, it was because I started to get validation for it. I started to get validation. I started to win. And then all of a sudden he didn't need to pick a spot for me. I was getting picked over and over again because I was one of the better, better athletes in, in, the, in the town. And that became my mission. I'm going to be the best. I'm never going to be picked last again. Um, you know, I'm going to go play professional sports. And that was my, my whole journey. Yeah. I actually, I actually left my town, uh, in a, I grew up in Delaware, Ohio, a small mm -hmm. town. And when I was 13, i I begged my parents to send me away. I found this school. I was going to this Christian, um, summer camp and I found this school in St. Louis, Missouri. That was a Christian related school. And I met some of these kids that went there and they were so positive. They were so loving, kind, compassionate. I was like, I need to be around these kids. I got off the plane from the camp and I the first thing out of my mouth is please send me to this school. And they were like, there's no way. They're like, we don't have the money. It's really yeah. expensive. I was like, I'll, I'll work every morning. <laughs> you know, isn't yeah. it funny that like, when we want something bad enough, we'll oh, do yeah, whatever totally. it takes. It's Absolutely. like, I could care less about school, but I was like, I want to go to this school. Um, I had to get recommendations from the, I had to start going to church. I had to do yeah, everything, right? I was like, right. whatever it takes. <laughs> and that was kind of the moment that changed my life was when I moved away. I mm. lived alone in a dorm essentially for five years. And, yeah. uh, oh, so you it went was the, all the way through high school. I went from middle eighth grade all the way through yeah. high school. And uh, it was the greatest thing that I ever did for myself because really? I think I probably would have been in jail, probably would have been doing drinking alcohol, drugs, yeah. probably something. And um, I, it was the greatest gift. And it, huh. it set me up for tremendous results in my life. Well, uh, totally, because you had these huge sports dreams and you saw them through. You made it to arena football and – um, can you talk about that bit just a little bit, sort of football? Yeah, and then... I was never, I was never good enough to play in the NFL. I had NFL tryouts and stuff, but I was a little mm -hmm. bit too slow. And I went and played professional uh, football arena league, actually in Alabama mm -hmm. and in Columbus, Ohio. How long did that season last before you kind of had a really like a career-ending injury? Quick. It was a year and a half. A year and a half. Year and a half. The dream was over. I'm 23, 24 years old, yeah. and my entire childhood dream is now gone. Yeah. And I go to my. I think to myself, what's the point of my life now? Hmm. What's wow. you know? Why am I here? Right. That was this Plan A. I, this is all I cared about. Here's the story that most people don't know about because I don't really talk about it that much. During this time, my dad got into a. Uh, he went on a vacation and he got in a, a car accident with his then girlfriend, fiance. And he was in New Zealand, got in a car accident, and he was in a coma for three months. Wow, gosh. Every day, we didn't know if he was gonna survive or if this was the day he was gonna die. Um, three months later, he wakes up, eventually comes back to Ohio, and for a couple of years, he's in recovery. I mean, he doesn't know how mm -hmm. to speak. He doesn't know how to walk. 
were changing diapers. Wow, gosh. And this was back in 2005. Okay. So it's, he's still alive today, mm-hmm. and he's recovered in a big way, and you can have long conversations with him. But every time I see him, it's still, where did you go to school again? Oh, what, yeah, yeah. What are you doing now? Yeah. It's, a, they were, it's kind of a broken mm-hmm. record of questions, the same question. Didn't you used to play football? Wow, gosh. And he, he was on the field taking photos at every game. Hmm. My, you know, in high school, college, pro, he was at every game. So for me, it was a challenging experience that shaped the, my future because I was in transition and I didn't have my father anymore. He was, he was alive, but he's kind of dead at the same time. To this day, I don't talk about it that much because I don't think I would be where I am without him going through that experience. And it sucks for me to say that because I wish my dad was healthy and happy, all these things. But I don't think I would be able to impact the people the way I'm doing it without that experience. Wow. That's what's sad for me to think about. I want to talk about that a little bit because so you you are moving from this this whole series that we're doing right now on my podcast is about finishing strong kind of as, as we head toward the end of the not just the end of the year but the end of a decade mm-hmm. and here you have just told us a story about a great deal of um pain and loss really that's where you're at you're you've you've mentioned before that you find yourself uh, bunking at your sister's place on her couch your dreams of pro sports are over your dad is there but not there um and so this is a low spot this is a really low place to have found yourself at such a young age without the mentorship of your dad without the kind of security of what you thought was going to be your future Mm -hmm. um and so i i want to hear from you how you began to move from that place of such despair and darkness and being so low to within a very short amount of time running a seven figure business. Mm -hmm. That just doesn't make sense. (laughs) That doesn't make sense. There's a gap in the story. If you would have told me like when all this was happening, that two years later we'd be doing multiple seven figures, I would probably laughed because it's, it's it's Christmas time. It's a Christmas time, two thousand seven. Okay. I just finished playing football in the summer. I have a, I get a cast on yep. end of August. That hope my goal was like I'm getting this off in six weeks. I'm going to be playing again. Sure. No, this thing's on for six months. My brother just gives me a gift. It's not even wrapped, um, and he hands it to me. And it's a book. And at the time, again, I'm I'm like so low at this time. Totally. I'm searching. I'm like, I need something to give me an answer. Hmm. And the book was the answer. It literally, if I didn't have that book, I don't know if I'd be here today. Hmm. The book was Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Yeah, sure. And I I don't read. Hmm. I am dyslexic. Right. It's I'm a slow reader. Yeah. And I read this book in three days. I couldn't hmm. I couldn't put it down over Christmas and I just started obsessing and researching. I was like on my computer with one hand researching everything about this topic, about entrepreneurship, about building something on the side, about, you know, pursuing a passion of yours, all these things. And I was like, I know nothing, but I'm going to start reaching out to mentors who I think could potentially give me the answers. 
And that's when I started saying, I need to learn new skills. My only skill right now is being in sports and I can't play sports right now. So I need to learn some skills and master some things. And I started diving in. I was going to salsa dancing yeah. four, four or five times a week because I previously lived above a salsa club. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was paying $125 a month to live in this little studio thing <laughs> in college above a salsa club. And I started going every week, four or five times a week. I started okay. researching on YouTube two hours a night, practicing in front of a mirror from my, alone by myself and obsessing. While I was at salsa dancing, I met a guy who was a professional speaker that got paid to speak all around the world. Yep. And I talked to him and I said, tell me, I can't even stand up and speak in front of three people. Yep. How do you do this? He goes, you need to join Toastmasters. Hmm. And I went to Toastmasters every single week for the next year. With okay. my cast on, I started wow. seeking out mentors on LinkedIn because my college um, headmaster of my college uh-huh. – when I called him and said, this is what's going on in my life. My dad's not here. I don't have any money. What should I do? He said, go on LinkedIn. This is back in 2007. Yeah, and there was about early 12, adopter. 12 million people on the platform. Uh-huh. He said, I hear people are getting jobs there. Why don't you check it out? So I spent six hours a day on LinkedIn, all while on my sister's couch still for a year and a half. Yeah. And I just reach out to mentors or people that I think have the answers. And I say, tell me what to do. You know, I bought a domain name in 2008, I think, lewishouse.com. After I read it for a work week, I started getting on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. And and after a while, I built up one of the largest platforms on LinkedIn of following. And people started to email me and say, hey, can you connect me to so-and-so? Can you make this introduction? I just started introducing everyone. And then I started hosting. I don't know if you remember back in 2008, there were these things called tweet-ups. Yeah, I do. They weren't Twitter there for meetups, long, but yeah. Right? They were there for maybe six months. And I went to one of these, and there was like 600 people. And I was like, what is going on? This is crazy in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. And I go, huh, I'm building this following on LinkedIn that no one knows about LinkedIn or is talking about still. But I wonder if I could get do like a LinkedIn networking event and bring a bunch of people together and just like add value to people. Yep. And I never did an event before, but I hosted my first LinkedIn networking event in St. Louis, and I had 350 people show up, and I made $1,000 from selling kind of sponsorship tables. Yep. So I did events every month for the next year, like all during this as well. And um, I did 20 events over that year doing LinkedIn networking events. Then people were saying, can you introduce me to this person? I was getting referral fees. Then they were asking me, how do I do this on LinkedIn myself? So I wrote a book. I found another coach who'd written a book. I said, show me how to write a book. Wow. And I wrote a book about LinkedIn uh, when I, by I was 25 years old. And all this was happening so fast because I had all this time on my hand. Uh-huh. And I didn't have a job, but I applied myself by learning and mastering skills over that year and a half. I learned and I was just kind of like, wow, okay, I can, I can figure this out and I can do this thing. And I just started doing it every single week. I was, had so much hunger because I was yeah. poor on my sister's right. couch. I just worked nonstop to make sure I stacked the bank account, didn't uh. spend anything. Because um, I was just like, I never want to have this feeling of yes. like relying on my father, who's no longer here anymore, mm. relying on my sister, who's giving me all her food and her couch. I didn't want to rely on anyone. Mm. And uh, that was 
you know, 11 years ago. And it's, wow. it's, been, it's been a crazy journey. It's interesting because scarcity and um, sort of financial fragility, um, yeah. insecurity is a it's a pretty powerful motivator Huge. at first. For sure, at it first, is. I mean, then it's but then empty. It, it it doesn't last. It could get you out of the starting last. blocks for sure, which it did for you. But it's interesting to kind of watch how your career has developed because I get a sense now from you that what motivates you, what kind of fills your tank is this sense of just adding value to the world mm-hmm. and yeah. building other people up in their relationships and their careers and in their dreams. And, and that's what I sense from you that has taken over as your primary um, motivator. Would you say that's true? A hundred percent. Just like playing sports. I was like obsessed with being great with being the best with like winning. Right. Sure. And um, it worked, you know, all in my late twenties, like it was just Everything seemed like it was on fire. I was doing great things. You know, I was connecting with all these business leaders. It's just like things were happening and making millions of dollars in my business. Until I hit 30, where it seemed like everything fell apart. And I was in a long-distance relationship that I moved for someone uh, to L.A. about seven years ago. And she broke up with me the day I, I moved there. Wow, it's rough. I started to get really upset with a business partner of mine. I built all this stuff with and one point almost got in a fist fight with him in the middle of Times Square at like midnight <laughs> one day. That really went sideways. And then I actually did get in a fist fight in, in LA in a basketball game, uh, in a pickup basketball game. I got in a fist fight Sheesh. where everything shook me up at that point because yeah. I realized, wow, I yeah. have a lot to lose. And this is, and I was just like, what's wrong with me? I'm, huh. Why am I getting in a fight of a pickup basketball game yeah. that means nothing? Yeah. I must have some stuff I need to work on. And my best friend was there and he said, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. If, if you're going to, if you're going to be this way. And that really shook me. I was like, wow, my best friend who I really care about his friendship told me he doesn't want to be around me if I'm going to act this way. And I started seeking out like help right then. I was just like, Hmm. I'll learn from anyone. I was like, I'll go to any therapy. I'll go to any for myself. I was just like, I'll try anything, you know, I'm going to Tony Robbins, I'm going to these workshops and trying it all. And there was a workshop that I went to an emotional intelligence based workshop in LA I went to. And at one point, the facilitator of the workshop, there's about 50 people in the workshop, maybe he said, okay, now we're moving into creating the vision for your future. It's hard to create the vision for your future until you've, you know, let go of everything or addressed everything from the past. Right. And I, I stood up in front of the room and I remember, it was like a half semicircle uh, of chairs. People were seating in, and I was—I walked through the entire experience from five years old, and just told the whole thing from everything I remember vividly, sharing every detail. And I remember sitting down right afterwards, and a just eruption of tears. I could not control the emotion. I could not control what was coming out of me. And thank goodness there was two women on each side of me who were just, they were squeezing me and hugging me, kind of creating a healing space for me. They're crying. I'm crying. The whole room is crying. I sprint out of the room of just shame and embarrassment and I leave. And I was just like, I I can't go back in there. Like now people really know who I am. They'll never love me. They'll never accept me. Like 
I can't go back in this space and face these people again. And it was probably one of the most beautiful moments of my life. What happened next? I'm outside for a couple of minutes crying and I feel a tap on my shoulder and it's an older gentleman who uh, gives me a big hug, just looks me in the eyes and he goes, you're my hero. Wow. And he, he starts to open up. He starts to say, you know, I was seven and there is a, there was a kid that did this to me and he tells me his whole story and he was like, no one knows I'm married. She doesn't know. She's always asked what's going, what's going on. There's always something inside of me that I haven't shared. And you're my hero because I've never seen someone talk about it. And everything started to shift six years ago when I, when I started to heal from the past, mm-hmm. when I started to learn tools and strategies on how to just communicate and how to continue to heal my inner child day after day, because mm-hmm traumas will come back up and it's a moment of reflection and having peace and being aware and and moving forward from a place of choosing love as opposed to reaction or anger. Mm. Do you know a question that's hard to answer honestly sometimes? It's that question, like, how are you? How many times have you thought you don't want the raw answer to that? I promise you, been there absolutely had moments where I needed someone to listen to my real and true and raw answers. So good counseling can do that. I'm such a believer. And one of my favorite partners in counseling is a fabulous service called BetterHelp. BetterHelp can connect you to a licensed therapist or counselor online so you can get help whenever and wherever you need it. You can talk to your counselor on your computer or phone anywhere in the world about once a week. It is a wonderful, pressure-free, convenient way to get some outside perspective and see your life through a different lens. BetterHelp is a truly affordable way to find the help that you need today. I believe in them so much. And so they are giving my listeners 10% off their first month with the code for the love. So here's what you do. Go to betterhelp.com slash for the love, and then use the code for the love and get started today. Okay, back to our show. I mentioned earlier, this series is on finishing strong because, you know, this yes. is the time of year where the uh, the American mindset tends to sort of drift into entropy, like, or, or really into apathy, like, ugh, just for whatever, we'll just throw in the towel. It's the end of the year. It's Thanksgiving. It's sloth time. We're going <laughs> to overspin. I'll just let myself go. Yeah, I'll just whatever. <laughs> what, I'll, I'll try to care in January. Um, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overextended. Just um, everything just sort of shrinks in, in possibility sometimes around this time at the end. And then we believe that the time to sort of fire up potential again is in January. But I'm wondering if we can reverse that idea. And so I've picked up on uh, three dozen amazing tips and thoughts and and approaches from you just over the course of our conversation. But as you kind of think about the people that are listening today who are heading into the end of a decade, I mean, Uh this is a pretty big deal. Um, How would you talk about finishing strong to them? What, let's just say they're stuck. Let's say they feel. Here's the thing you got to do. Yes. Everyone listening, 
I want you to take your right hand and put it in the air with a four. Put four up. Uh, make the, the symbol four, four fingers, and hold it up as high as you can right now. And I'm actually doing this right now. I'm doing in it my right place. now. This is what I would do every weekend in football, in high school, and in college, uh, yeah. in the fourth quarter. There is a, a symbol in football that is finishing strong, and that is holding up the number four in your hand. And we would do this. It didn't matter if we were down by 50 points or up by 50 points or a close game or three guys who are stars got injured. We would do this every single game at the end of the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter as a reminder that you don't win the game unless you finish strong. Hmm. You don't win the game in football, uh, in your relationship, in your life, unless you finish strong. And people remember the finish. People remember the finish. They don't remember the start. Mm. So January right. doesn't really matter. Mm. So this is an opportunity for you to hold your hand up high with the number four and say, I'm going to finish this month, this year, this decade with everything I've got because mm. that will carry you with momentum into the next year. People don't remember how you start. They remember the way you finish and it's going to inspire them either way um, to to reflect on their life. Like, how do I want to show up? Oh, it's fabulous. Oh, it's so good. So first of all, whoever said it's all about the journey has probably never traveled during the holidays. When our kids were little, you guys, we would leave after our Christmas Eve service, drive all the way through the night, all the way to Kansas, and get there Christmas morning at like 7 in the morning. So yes, holiday travel can be crazy, but packing doesn't have to be. So whether it's your gifts or your clothes or your holiday treats, away has luggage that positively works for however you travel. Um, so all of Away's suitcases are designed to last a lifetime. They really are. They have these very durable exteriors. Um, plus they have these very, well, amazing 360 degree wheels that glide wherever you need to go. And they're so lightweight that it actually is weird. So like I said, Away products are designed to last a lifetime. And there's a this is a really cool feature. There's a 100-day trial on everything Away makes. So you can return any non-personalized item for a full refund. If you're interested in $20 off any suitcase or bag, just visit awaytravel.com slash for the love. And then use the promo code for the love during checkout. Okay, so that is awaytravel.com slash for the love, and then use the promo code for the love and get $20 off any suitcase or bag that you like today. Okay, you guys, back to our show. Okay, I want to wrap it up here. On the yep. In this series, these are three questions that I'm asking all the guests on the Finishing Strong series. So here's just the first one, just kind of top of your head, whatever comes to mind. Um, can you think of somebody who has given you an amazing example of what it looks like, what it means to finish strong? I think I'm the first thing that came to my mind was Tom Brady. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Maybe because I'm thinking of football and sure. I just watched some highlights last night. But this guy just knows how to finish. And Golly, some years, some years he's actually not doing they're not actually doing that well in the regular season. They're not always undefeated. This year they're doing amazing. But some years they're like 
just a little bit above average. But when the playoffs come, they dial it in and they do whatever it takes Mm -hmm. where other people get lazy or they just don't have it. And he is an example. And the Patriots are an example of how they finish strong. That's a great example. Um, Here's the next question. Um, Since, as we mentioned, a lot of people decide to start strong instead of finish strong. So thus, New Year's resolutions Mm -hmm. are often just a mess because they they set us up for failure and disappointment. If we're not able to complete them, they fizzle easily. So for you, what motivates you to complete a goal? And is there any way that you set yourself up so that the process is also part of the reward? I want to make myself proud. And I want to, I want to do it for me. I used to want to do it to prove others wrong, but this stage of my life, I do it for me. Oh, I love that and answer. when in my in my 20s, when I started off with public speaking, I had all these dreams that I wanted to do in business. I wanted to write a New York Times bestseller. I wanted to make, you know, originally, I wanted to make $5,000 a speech mm-hmm. uh, 10 years ago. I want to do all these different things. And I would write these goals down and frame them and hang them on my wall. And I would put the date of when it was, it was kind of like a certificate of accomplishment that I would have mm-hmm. the date on there as if it was already accomplished mm-hmm. by when, and then I would sign it. And I would do this with myself and I would accomplish stuff in half the time that was even already unrealistic to accomplish in the time that I'd set for myself mm-hmm. because I had such focus on the goal so I think it's just a change in mindset of like, we don't have a hundred more years of our life. Maybe we do, hmm, but right. we might have this That's moment right. and this right. moment might be over tomorrow. That's fabulous. And here's the very last question. This is a question that I actually ask every guest in every series. It's from an author that I love. And your answer could be literally whatever you want it to be. It can be like really big and serious and monumental or like really small and tiny moment, and simple. Yeah. You pick. Um, but the question's this, what is saving your life right now? Mm. Yeah. I think, I, man, I think my, I think my girlfriend, I thought you were going to say that is <laughs> for whatever reason, I was trying to think of like, what is saving my life? And I remember doing an interview two years ago and asking a guy, a pastor who's married. And I said, when do you know you found the one? And he didn't hesitate. And he said, when you find peace in your heart. And I remember just being like, wow, I've never felt peace in a relationship. And and now I feel peace. So she's she's just brought me so much peace and love. And um, yeah, I just feel like it saved my life. So I'm so happy for you. And she's just <laughs> such you. a beauty inside and out. <laughs> um, okay. So real quick, Lois, will you just tell my listeners like where they can find you um, and all the work that you do and all that good stuff? Uh, yeah, so lewishouse.com or just lewishouse anywhere on social media and School of Greatness podcast is where I kind of where my mission is. It's where I, I'm here to serve people and help people um, heal and be inspired and, and have stories and tools to, to grow. So School of Greatness podcast and Lewis House. We'll link to all of that, all your accounts, all your stuff, all your goodness. Hey, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for being so just 
transparent on this show and talking about your life and your story and your history and your future. It was just really great to talk to you. And I'm so happy to have met you. And thank you, Jen. Just sending you so much like love this Christmas season. And I hope it's just a beautiful, beautiful time for you and everybody that you love. Thank you, Jen. Appreciate you. And there you have it. An hour of high octane conversation. Um, I am so grateful to Lewis for coming on this brand new series and kicking it off with us and, um, and feeling really hopeful for you listener and your families and relationships, your hopes and dreams, the places where you feel stuck or sad, this real sense to create meaning in this world and add value to it and love well and serve well and, um, finish strong. Everything that we talked about, all Lewis's stuff, as I mentioned, I'll have link linked over at jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, which includes an entire transcript. Um, I hope that you are using that amazing resource that Amanda works on every single week. We have links, we have pictures, we have additional resources, everything you could ever want out of any episode we've ever done is on the transcript page over on my website. So they're all archived there too. Anything you ever missed, anything you ever want to go back and listen to, we've got them for you. Thank you guys for making this an amazing year of podcasting and being such great subscribers and raters and reviewers and sharers of favorite episodes. You really are great. And we really appreciate and love you. And it's our honor to serve you. Okay, guys, see you next week. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.